Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yanis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this show, we democratize the film criticism conversation by bringing on fans and critics alike to dig into their personal connection to a current or classic release. You can find more episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcatchers. And this week, we're talking about the 1973 film, Enter the Dragon. And I'm honored to welcome to the show, Robert Dean. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. Howdy, y'all. <laughs> so, uh, Robert, tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what you have going on. Uh, I am Robert Dean. I am a journalist, raconteur, and enlightened dumbass. I'm a nice. writer for a whole bunch of things. I'm. You can find me... Uh, Mike, the Austin American statesman, fatherly, consequence of sound, farce the music, Lever and Blade, Last Real Indians, Forbes, CNN, NPR, all those kinds of places. Uh, I've got two books published. I've got two more coming out in 2021. And uh, pre-pandemic, I almost had a TV show. So we'll see if that happens again in the next year. But, nice. What kind, of, uh, what kind of TV show are you planning or where are you planning? Uh, I was in the throes of the Hollywood pitch sessions pre-pandemic. Uh, I was actually in Los Angeles the week before the lockdown happened, and I'd gotten sick. Um, I was there because I live in Austin, Texas, and I'd flown in. I'm like, I was there during like peak shitty um, allergy season, and I rolled into L.A., and L.A. is like, if you've never been there, it's just this smog-filled, fucking gross place with exhaust everywhere. And so I got sick and I was like, uh, do I have that Corona thing? And he's like, no, dude, it's just your allergies. Cause I kept waking up. Like I felt like I had a baseball in my throat. Okay. I was there, um, pretty much doing the pitch thing, working on, I have a show or have a show. I don't know really what it's standing is anymore. It's called out of step. And essentially it's taking a subject and looking at it from all angles um, without giving too much of it away, you know what I mean? So it's like mm-hmm. kind of taking my journalistic integrity of looking at a situation, but also talking about subjects that people might not necessarily understand. And I only mean that in the sense of, because like I'm a fucking six four white dude covered in tattoos, it's not my place to give someone insight on something, but it's my, I try to be an ally to give people that necessarily may not have the voice of the platform to help them tell their stories and not just one person, multiple people don't understand the, uh, what this place is. This place is a very dynamic, diverse place, but everyone else that's never been here is like, Texas is a red fucking wasteland. And they're like, oh, but Austin's this little dot and it's totally untrue. Texas for the first time, and it's not history, recent history of like my lifetime is potentially a swing state this year. And there are a lot of Democratic voters here. And for the people listening, I, I, I write about politics a lot of times. It's one of my beats. And maybe somebody on the outside who never understood like what that actually means, and what that experience means, maybe by hearing these stories and seeing it through the people's eyes and putting it together in multiple places, that could they potentially have a unified story that maybe some like Midwestern dickhead dad that like doesn't understand what his kid is going through. Maybe this could be a shining light and it's multiple things like that. It's like social media, um, trans, uh, gentrification and a lot of different subjects. And instead of 
hyper focusing on one place take multiple places to tell that story. That's pretty much the most I can give away. That's great. Yeah, I went from uh, we'll see you in a month and a half. We're going to uh, no one's shooting anything and everyone's broke and miserable. So maybe see you in 2021, maybe see you in 2022. So otherwise, till then, just keep uh, writing and we'll see where we pick up. And that's pretty much all of my friends that work in TV and movies. Everyone is fucked. Everyone is sitting at home and everyone is miserable. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty much 2020 in a nutshell. And uh, the, you know, the political landscape right now on top of the pandemic, it's just like, wow, it's, it's very overwhelming. So <laughs> movies have been a nice escape. Doing this podcast has been a nice escape. And, and so, yeah, I totally, I appreciate that you're, you're at least trying to sort of split that difference. Everybody's so divided and not like closed-minded on, uh, on everything right now. And so I think that's very much needed to try and have uh, a start that conversation a little bit and get a little I'm, understanding going. I'm a leftist fuck. I'm that mm-hmm. guy. But yeah, as long as you're willing to talk like an adult, mm-hmm. we can sit there and we can hash this out. Yeah. There, is no, there is no conversation I'm not willing to have. I'm old. I've been in the game a long time because I'm so been in politics and writing about it for so long that I had to look at things cognitively of like where I feel as a person. And I was like, some of my biggest inspirations are stand-up comedians. And so there's always humor into my work. And there's always like a few places where you can get a laugh. And I was like, you have to look at the absurdity of what we live in. Mm. And if you can't at least like recognize it for you know, as Carlin said, it's a big club and you ain't in it or take that Bill Hicks approach. You kind of start seeing things from that, that I'm on this side thing, which I am on a side, but I at least can recognize the ridiculousness of like fucking social justice warriors trying to cancel everybody. And I'm like, you guys need to shut the fuck up because look, I'm as liberal as they fucking come. I have a million black friends, a million gay friends that have been marching in gay pride longer than half of you been a fucking alive. But when you try that cancel bullshit, it's like, where are you going to go with that? Like, mm-hmm. what what conversation? Like, I get it if you're a total, like, level 10 scumbag that, like, is a total, complete piece of shit. Yeah, but, like, everyone fucks up and everyone's got skeletons. If you right. can't make teachable moments about people's mistakes, all you're doing is condemning people to a fucking garbage can that they have these bodies of work that are relationships or impact on the world that maybe they could be a better person. But... Because you're just so willing to fucking 86 them, you're not left with anything. Yeah. Yeah, you get people that are legitimately committing crimes, you know, kind of lumped into the same category as someone who tweeted something off color 10 years ago. And it's like, those two things are not exactly matching up. We have to be, there has to be levels of uh, understanding there. It's, It's kind of wild. So where do you, you know, taking it over to the entertainment now for a little, and I'm glad you mentioned Carlin, by the way, because I think he's, I, I don't even consider him like a stand-up comedian as much as he is a philosopher that, that uses humor to, to get those ideas and messages across. Cause I, I love his work. Um, yeah, he, he is an unbelievably huge. So I'd went back and started watching old Carlin. Cause like I said, even though when I get up and I have to do uh, readings and everything else and how I write essays, I like to put humor in there, but also be poignant. So I started going back and like really focusing on Carlin again. And I saw so much of my work in there 
at these things because me and my best friend, we were watching like Pantera home videos, George Carlin, uh, Richard Pryor, and like Jackass when we were 15. And this was like 1996. Mm-hmm. So we like that's so baked into my psyche. And I started rewatching. I was like, holy fuck, all of these habits I have are from Carlin. And so I like went back and really doubled down on those things because he was like to have his perspective right now or Hunter S. Thompson's would be incredible. Oh yeah, for sure. Taking it to, it to movies specifically, what are, what kind of movies are you into? Like what is your, your general, uh, what kind of genres are you interested in kind of broadly? What are some of your favorites? And then obviously we'll get to enter the dragon, which I'm assuming is in that, in that zone. So what's weird is I am terrible at watching movies. Like I'm terrible at it. But if you go, have you seen, I haven't seen Joker. I haven't seen uh, probably anything in the last, I don't know, couple of years. I haven't seen mm-hmm. any of it. But if you go, hey, have you seen uh, Knights of the Shaolin Temple or The Sweet Smell of Success, like a random black and white movie or, you know, uh, His Girl Friday or like old... Um, Japanese kung fu flicks, Godzilla movies, like westerns, the most like off the wall beaten B movies and all that shit. I've seen a ton of that. And so I like movies. It's just I have this weird attention thing. I kind of like right now at least, I can only watch documentaries and super stuff that's like very episodic because I can't come in the middle of something or I'm like, who's that guy? What the fuck is this story? I get in my own head. And I'm like, I can't watch this. It's just over my, it's too overwhelming. Cause I don't know backstories, but generally if you're like, have you seen this random ass, like gangster movie from 1976, like Vinny and Nikki or uh, mean streets <laughs> or like King of New York, I've seen all that shit. So it's weird. Like how it's basically like all of Quentin Tarantino's background of all the shit that he's, to make mm-hmm. his movies, that's what yeah. I'm into. Well, I mean, I think Enter the Dragon is definitely in that in that category as well. I would say, oh, I, yeah. uh, I mean, I feel like we're gonna, and I feel like we're about to talk about Enter the Dragon. So I think we should listen to a little bit of the trailer for Enter the Dragon right now. Roper, Williams, and Lee, the Deadly Three, penetrate the secret chambers of an evil island empire. What do you know about Han? He lives like a king on that island. Totally self-sufficient. A fortress without walls, protected by an invincible army that needs no ordinary weapons. This is Enter the Dragon, the first martial arts film produced by a major Hollywood studio. John Saxon is Roper. He was in it for the money. U.S. Karate Champion Jim Kelly as Williams. He was there because he had no choice. Black Belt Hall of Fame undisputed martial arts champion and international film star Bruce Lee. His job was to get them out alive. I'm hoping you'll join us, represent us in the United States. You want me to join this? That was a little bit of the trailer for Enter the Dragon from 1973, directed by Robert Klaus. So this is the first, I think, I believe you're the first Robert I've had on the show, other than myself. And uh, the, the movie was also directed by a Robert, which I thought was really weird. So bingoed. Yeah, right? <laughs> one more Robert, one Robert off. Uh, let's, uh, I want to talk about how I have never seen, the, I'd never seen this movie before. Obviously, I was aware of it. 
And it's one that I'd always been meaning to get to, but I never just took the time to actually watch it. So what is your history with Enter the Dragon? And when did you first catch this one? When I was a kid, um, I'm originally from Chicago, from the South Side. And so on public access, not public access, I don't know if it was like a UFH channel, UHF, UFH, UHF, whatever, UHF. And uh, Mm -hmm. we had one of those on Channel 56. And on Saturday afternoons, it would be like early Sunday or Sunday afternoons. Yeah, Sundays. It was like the Jeffersons, Good Times. uh, It was Jeffersons, Good Times. And what's happening after those three and uh, Sanford and Sons. So I'd spend my morning watching those. And then after was Samurai Sunday. But Samurai Sunday was like all the old Shaolin movies. Uh, the, um, what's that? Uh, Shaw Brothers. And they play the occasional Bruce Lee flick. And so I got into it that way. But my old man is super cool. My old man got us into like rock and roll and old country music and, you know, Blade Runner and all and that movie and the warriors and all that shit when we were kids. So like I grew up on all that stuff. So mm-hmm. I watched it because my old man was into that. So I'd seen just full of dollars and Josie Wales when I was like five. So naturally, like I kind of just gravitate to that shit. So like when I was a child, when everybody else would be trying to watch like Care Bears or, you know, I'd say I was probably like seven, eight years old and I was already watching Kung Fu flicks. And so that, and it kind of got into Godzilla and all that shit too. And I've seen Enter the Dragon my cousin Bruce used to have that, like, you know, poster of Bruce Lee standing there shirtless holding the nunchucks out in front of him, which I ended up getting later in Chicago's Chinatown, like, a couple of years later. And now my brother has that poster. It's, like, OG 1970s fucking real deal from, like, when Bruce Lee, like, just had died. And uh, my brother still got that poster. And I had it on my wall for years. I've just always been into that stuff. Yeah, I think the only one I saw as a kid was um, The Way of the Dragon, which which I, I always saw as Return of the Dragon, because I know that's another title that was released under. Uh, so I was obviously familiar with Bruce Lee, the icon, and uh, and all of that, but I had never actually gotten, gotten around to watching this movie. What is, it, what is it about this movie that is so influential? Because watching it felt like when you... When you um, when you hear an entire story, but you miss the setup for it, you know what I mean? Because watching this now, it was everything started to click of how like decades of storytelling was influenced by this one, by this one oh, yeah. film. Um, let's talk about that a little bit about what a legacy this movie has. It's, it was the first time that it was the first American release of Bruce Lee on anything. And so like he died in the middle of filming Game of Death but everything that he had done, and he was like, uh, it came out, and I think he'd already been dead, or he like he made it to the release and then died right after the release. But he he never saw the success of the movie, and mm. nothing was like that because up until that time, it was all fucking. Uh, he was up for Kane and Kung Fu, and they ended up giving it to David Carradine, and that pissed Bruce Lee off. So he went and made more movies in China, and that's like the big boss and the Chinese connection and all that shit. And so he did those, and like once this one dude saw those movies and realized that there was a market for kung fu movies, it's kind of like it's essentially the Star Wars of martial arts movies because every fucking sci-fi movie up for Star Wars was like this hokey shit, like Flash Gordon and stuff. That it's fine for what it is, but Star Wars changed the game. 
And essentially, I mean, the blueprint before this was Shaw Brothers flicks were cool, but they were super low budget. They had no like cinematic scope. If you're mm-hmm. familiar with the Shaw Brothers movies, they pumped out like 25 a year. There's like 500 of them. Wow. Or like 300 of them, I think, in total. And they were these like bad, they were terribly acted, terribly choreographed. They're, they're great because I love them because I grew up on them. But when you watch them ostensibly with a critical eye, you're like, whoa, these are terrible, but they're terrible. Awesome. So the reason why they even really exist in the popular lexicon at this point is like one part Quentin Tarantino and one part the Wu-Tang Clan. So without those two things, those movies would have been forgotten. But Enter the Dragon was like a legit big budget action movie with all of these different elements and you see it like it's poetic the beginning is like really influential with him uh studying with his teacher and then him teaching kids and how he moves and reacts and it's not about anger it's like through like his actual philosophies so mm-hmm. you see that and you're like holy shit this is like basically the blueprint for everything yeah yeah absolutely and, and that was what really i think struck me is that y- you understand how as you said, this is like the first Chinese martial arts movie produced by Hollywood. It, it brought this whole style. He main Bruce Lee invented his own style of martial arts, uh, and in addition to everything else, and how much his role in this and his depiction uh, conveys who he was. Like he was really using this movie as a as a medium to, of as of not only telling a story but also expressing his own values, his own philosophy, his own style. Like as as a showcase for Bruce Lee and what he's all about, the, that's, I think that's probably the way in which the movie functions the best. Yeah. I mean, that movie has such depth to it. That's like, it's never been recreated. Actually, honestly, I mean, you can think of different like action movies or even martial arts movies and they still are kind of hokey. I mean, you really can't even compare it. It stands alone with, anything because any of the jackie chan shit is it's fun but it's all just fun it's not that and you know i mean brandon lee has the same kind of thing it's like the crow is a standalone movie no like no other comic book movie feels like the crow yeah very true no other martial arts movie has that thing like i mean there are so many layers to uh enter the dragon between the way that they all interact with each other even that like total like seen in the very beginning when uh uh what's his name is not powers um it's um the dude with the afro uh jim oh williams uh, jim kelly jim, yeah yeah jim kelly williams when he gets pulled over and he like beats up those cops and he's like i gotta go because he just roughed up these cops for getting like that's a social commentary yeah oh yeah yeah you know? i i he's he was great in this like i was disappointed when he uh got taken out and apparently he worked with the same director the next year on Black Belt Jones, which now I feel like I need to see um, just because he had such presence in his own right. And, uh, and I love the, the, the score to that. We were kind of going all over the place, but the score to this movie, because it, it really is apparent in the, the Jim Kelly stuff, is, like, is the perfect blend of that 70s sort of uh, exploitation movie style. You know, it's very Shaft-esque in, in the Williams scene specifically. Yeah. Uh, but but also you know it has all the the Chinese melodies and that kind of thing. Um, it, it's, it's it was apparently a best selling soundtrack back in the day. And and the one thing I noticed too, and I kept noticing it throughout this movie, is 
that the composer was Layla Schifrin, who also did like the Mission Impossible theme, things like that. But he did the the, the uh, music to Rush Hour, which is one of those Jackie Chan movies that you mentioned that's very watered down. And in the some of the sequel, like the sequel to that movie, I'm seeing rel- uh, references from this film. There's a scene in there where uh, Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker uh, are, you know, at a brothel. And it reminded me of the sequences in this movie with the prostitutes, like all of this stuff. Every, every martial, every movie that has had some form of martial arts in it since this, we, my wife and I have just been watching Cobra Kai on Netflix, which is a really fun show, but Karate Kid wouldn't exist without this movie kind of taking uh, martial arts mainstream in such a big way. It's, it's kind of crazy. Um, that it, it kind of makes yeah. you like, why did I wait so long to see this movie? Well, yeah. I mean, I feel embarrassed telling, saying about describing a scene in Rush Hour 2 when I haven't seen Into the Dragon. <laughs> I mean, it's like, Jesus. Um, but like, again, it's one of those things that I was not introduced to as a kid. And it's, you know, I was aware of its impact and its legacy. And I was like, I'll get to that. And then just didn't get to that. And that's one of the the great things about having this show is that someone like yourself would be like, let's watch Into the Dragon. I'm like, oh, perfect opportunity for me to finally watch into the dragon with a, a you know to keep myself accountable uh and i actually just found a for about the price of what you could rent it on streaming there was there's a used uh, dvd store a few minutes from my house so i own it now on dvd for like five bucks yeah uh, it's, and it's a repeater you're gonna watch you'll, you'll watch it again you're like oh dude it's an into the dragon kind of night yeah yeah uh mortal Kombat was then obviously another big one so much with the uh, Liu Kang styled after Bruce Lee, obviously, but uh, the the tournament, the, the whole storyline, basically, I was like, wow. Um, I won't. We so we talked about we talked about Lee, Bruce Lee, and we talked about uh, Jim Kelly. I also thought John Saxon was really great in this. I didn't realize before I started watching it that there is essentially three kind of quasi leads in this film. Yeah. Like, John Saxon is a great scumbag in that movie. And, like, you feel for John Saxon. And, like, my favorite part, I love that John Saxon was so fucking cold when, like, he could have fucked any chick in the whole broth. And he's like, he wanted, he's like, what are you doing? And he fucking gets her. And she's like, word. Like, that is the coldest shit. And, you know, like, he could have fucked anybody. But he straight up got her. And you're like, damn, son. Look at you. Fucking ice water in your veins yeah no he's he's a great the, the, all three of them are great characters that's the other thing too not only it's not only lee because he he carries the movie and obviously he's the face of the film and all of that but jim kelly and john saxon their characters are really interesting and compelling and it's it in a movie that's so dependent on bruce lee and so embodies who he was as a person and uh as a martial artist I, you would think that when they would cut away from him, you'd be like, yeah, this is fine, but go back to Bruce Lee. But those two dudes totally held their own. Not only, I mean, especially Jim Kelly with the martial arts, but not only uh, as far as the, you know, the characters themselves, but this, as, in the action as well. Yeah, I mean, too, they, they fucking crush it, that whole thing. And there's that scene where, like, in the very beginning, when uh, the one dude, like that big fucking muggy-ass Australian guy, and he's like, mm. fucking straight child or whatever. Uh, he keeps, like, trying to punch, and then Bruce Lee sticks him on a boat. And uh, John Saxon's there, like, gambling on them, pregnancies and all that. Like, all that just kind of shows character depth, you know? Like, this dude's concerned about just gambling and getting in, getting the winnings and getting out. 
Bruce Lee's like, I won't even fight you, dude. I'm going to put you on a boat. Yeah, his uh, style of, I think he says his style of fighting is fighting without the fighting, the art of fighting without fighting. Yeah. Yeah. Like what's funny is I haven't watched that movie in a couple of years, but I know it so well that I can probably recite all the lines from it. I've seen it so many times. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that, that, the fact that he doesn't, that he doesn't fight unless he absolutely needs to, or, or, you know, uh, if he's he, obviously part of the story here is that he's out for revenge uh, to avenge his sister's death and, and all of that. But he just got such this coolness and confidence to him. It's, he's a very, he's a very magnetic on-screen presence. And, you know, as we were saying, he passed away, I believe, according to here, according to my research, just days before this movie was released. It, it, that's how close it was. Yeah. It was legit yeah. missed his like I think he made it to the premiere, but I like I think they did the premiere, but like the premiere became before the like the actual nationwide release. So I think he got to see that. Got out of the way, man. You watch it and you're just like, fuck, this movie is so good. And then like when he fights a dude with the scar on his face, O'Hara, and yeah. like he just fucking dude comes out with a bottle and he just whoops him. Damn. Yeah. It was it was it's one of those sort of um it's like a Heath Ledger moment too, where Heath Ledger was about like about to blow up with the Dark Knight and then passed away before it. Like he completely missed his window because if if Bruce Lee had you know was still alive or had lived much longer past this, this would have this feels like it would have been the perfect setup for a franchise. Is one of the things that I was left with. Like this character is already compelling and interesting and embodies what he want he wants to put out there into uh into not only hollywood but also just the world as far as his message but there's elements of like a, a kind of a, a james bond-esque spy thriller in this as well which i didn't really realize until i got into the you know into the movie yeah it's weird i mean bruce lee lives in that rarefied era of what could have been is just like i mean he Ledger set the blueprint for guys who reinvent themselves into different mm-hmm. roles because like once he did Brokeback Mountain, and then he moved into The Dark Knight after that. That's when kind of like guys who only got pretty roles, because that's what he got. He got 21 Things I Hate About You and A Knight's Tale and all that kind of bullshit. And he fucking broke that mold, and that opened up the lane. Because, I mean, fucking Matthew McConaughey was a guy who was just in rom-coms, and now everybody loves him. Same thing with Robert Downey Jr. and, like, a couple other dudes, and you're like, these guys were willing to take these roles that were completely challenging everything about them. And he broke, literally broke that for all of Hollywood, or at least for this generation, because I don't ever remember a time prior to that, as well as with Bruce Lee, he lives in that vacuum of, you know, he's with like Kurt Cobain and Amy Winehouse and Tupac and Biggie. I mean, he's yeah. in that rarefied era of, what could have been. I mean, you constantly you know, like Wayne Staley and other people and you're like, fuck, like what could that guy have been capable of? But that comes at a price too, because you can either be, you can live long enough to see an amazing career. You can be like fucking the Beatles where it's like, had John not died, you know, the Beatles would have got back together in the eighties and they would have sucked. And then the legacy of the band wouldn't be what it is. It's just the same with like Zeppelin because you look at the 80s Beatles music, look at the 80s Zeppelin music, it all blows. I shouldn't say all Zeppelin music blows, but like early, the first Beatles records are good, but anything Paul McCartney did after the first two and everything George did 
after all things must pass is all like yeah. sure but yeah and i mean yeah. all 80s stones suck in the 80s so is the so did the who so it's like that weird thing of do you live long enough to make the right choices or you're this artistically like vibrant person like tom waits or do you become the caricature of yourself and you become some fucking cartoon you know right yeah instead he ends up like uh James Dean, who was in what three big movies and then died, and so now everyone's just like, "What a legend!" Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's true. It's true. Who knows where that career would have gone? I mean, to just going back to Jackie Chan again, who shows up apparently briefly here. I didn't even clock him. Uh, he's he's one of the henchmen, I guess. I have to yeah. When I rewatch it, I'll have to keep an eye out for him. But he, you know, started out Drunken Master, Police Story, et cetera, et cetera, and then he was doing garbage Hollywood movies in like the 2000s and 90s so it's uh, I don't know if Bruce Lee would have gone that route but god I hope not yeah it, I mean it's like that thing is the same thing another exa- perfect example is Stevie Ray Vaughan Stevie Ray Vaughan made it through the 80s and, and thrived in the 80s because he was a singular presence that essentially helped save guitar music but what Stevie Ray was like what would he have became in the 90s like everyone was trying like once Nirvana rolled in and steamrolled everybody. I mean, they killed whole genres. So, like, what would Stevie Ray have become? And that's one of those great conundrums of when you're so impactful and you go out in such a way, because if you look at these different iconic figures throughout history, especially like JFK, RFK, and uh, different like Che Guevara and all these different people, and you're like, we only have their legacy based on what we know of it for the moment that it impacted the rest of us but what could it have been down the line because it's a very interesting construct to think about and with Bruce Lee you're like he changed everything he gave he was the first person to put like a, an Asian person technically an you know, Asian American because he was born in California but mm-hmm. uh, he was an Asian man a Chinese man like a leading man and had he lived would he have uh, broke more barriers that essentially like he opened the door but had he kept plowing through, would we have a different Hollywood landscape today? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, if this was capable. This was such a huge deal in the '70s. Imagine now with decades more of, of uh, supposed progress, uh, where that where that would have gone. I um, one thing I really appreciate too of this movie is the way that the action, the way that the, the fighting is shot. There's none of this choppy like. Uh, what is it? Taken three that has that notorious like four hundred edits to, to, for Liam Neeson to jump over a fence. Um, none of that crap. It's all like very steadied camera, uh, you know, minimal camera changes. Like everything is very clear that it's being performed by real people, <laughs> uh, which is you know also the the age in which it was made. It wasn't CG doubles and all that other crap. Uh, I, I really like the fact that we're able to really appreciate the choreography and uh, and take it all in. And plus, you have all the the varying styles and weapons that uh, that that are captured on screen. Uh, is there a particular fight scene or or moment that really stands out to you? Because there's there's quite a few actually in this to kind of go through. My favorite of all time is will always be the Hall of Mirrors. Mm-hmm. Hall of Mirrors, like when he's fighting, uh, I can't think of the like Hong, Hong's like Hong's Island, Hong, and uh, 
and he's on his island and he goes into that room and it's all the mirrors and like he gets the nunchucks and he like has the scratch against his chest when he gets with that bear claw and he like starts like breaking all the mirrors and seeing like the doubles and like hitting the glass i think that like even that like that took a lot of work to make that scene work the way it does and it's really haunting because there's all these different movements in there and I don't know. It's just, I, I like that one because it's like almost like he's fighting with something bigger than just a man. Yeah. And that's another element that I've seen a million times since. I think even one of the John Wicks had a, um, a like a Hall of Mirrors uh, set piece. I think the second one. So that's another element that a lot of action movies have really latched onto after this. Uh, and of course, the nunchucks are one of his like signature weapons. So whenever he picks those up, I got all, I got excited about that too. Cause that isn't in, in the way of the dragon as well. Uh, and then you have the, the scene in the cave uh, <laughs> with the, with the staff. Yeah. When they're all like going in like the toxic waste and shit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and according to IMDB, he defeats like 51 <laughs> people in that cave scene. And I didn't count them because I, I don't have that kind of time, but uh, it 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 was a lot. It was just constant uh, constant barrage of enemies. I even really liked the um, the scene with Williams and Han in his study. Uh, just the the fact that the way that Jim Kelly's fighting style is so contrasted to Bruce Lee's, but but really you know really effective too. And, and uh, like I said earlier, it, it really does kind of feel like a black exploitation style movie is kind of sandwiched in with, with all the Bruce Lee stuff. He says, uh, you know, he's all, he's very to the point. He's, he tells Mr. Bullshit, Mr. Han, man, Mr. Hand man. He says, you yeah. come right out of the comic book. Like his, I loved all that stuff. It felt like, again, something very influential for all the movies that would come after it, but also the kind, the exactly the same kind of thing that like Michael Jai White was looking at when he made Black Dynamite. If you've ever seen that, yeah, I've seen that, and it's like that movie and that helped. Like there was black exploitation flex, obviously that like yeah. were being made at the same time, but like that moment got a lot of like neighborhoods and like influenced black culture to embrace like martial arts and stuff. Like that shit was Edge of the Dragon was fucking huge uh, amongst black people, and yeah. Jim Kelly is hugely responsible for that. He's involved in that. And he's him being so fucking badass and cool. And then to a later degree, you know, in Game of Death, when that came out, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was a fucking badass in his, in his role too. And he studied with Bruce Lee. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also in the, the fight with Williams and Han, you have all the, I guess, I think it's doves or some kind of birds flying around, which felt like, John Woo stole that idea for his entire career. Um, it's, it's, I mean, we could spend the whole time talking about, and then this was copied by every other movie because that's pretty much every scene has something like that. And it, it's, yeah, it's kind of wild. It's totally wild, man. Like that movie will open up. It's, you see the influences. Like when you see Kill Bill, there's a ton of like little nods to it in there. And then like mm-hmm. both, the suit that the bride wears in Kill Bill is the suit that Bruce Lee wears in Game of Death. It's just, there is so many of like these nods to his entire career at both of those movies. I really love the, um, the way that the characters played off of each other. We got a little bit of a rivalry with Roper and Lee. We got a little bit of an alliance with Roper and Williams, who are both uh, Vietnam vets. And uh, they, they, you know, all three of them are, I guess, the only ones that are really suspicious 
of what Mr. Han is, is up to here. Uh, what do you think that that sort of mystery element of the film uh, contributes to the, the larger tapestry? With that one, I would just say, I mean, it was more social commentary. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's like outsiders looking in and then the kind of having the wherewithal to see something for what it is. I mean, those three figured it out pretty immediately. I don't know. I, I, I don't think I've ever given that one much thought, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's cool that we, we get the the little the flashback sequences to oh, why yeah. everyone is there. Uh, you know, Jim Kelly is on the run from from the like you said the police officers. Uh, John Saxon's got, is like on the run from like the mob. He's he's a gambling debt. That's clearly one of his characters' defining characteristics. And then obviously we get the the scene very early on with Lee and the, the flashback with uh, his sister. I really like the the cut during the fight with him and O'Hara, you get that sort of POV shot of his, his sister like stabbing herself. And I thought that yeah. was a really nice touch. The more you talk about it, you go, shit, the movie's cool. Yeah, right? Even exactly. the poster for that movie is cool. It is cool. It is cool. And, and one of the big reasons behind, you know, one of their goals for making the movie was to make a big Hollywood action movie with no guns. They make a big th- point early on in the movie that... No, you can't bring any weapons. Han would suspect it. You know, he doesn't like having any there because he's paranoid about assassinations or whatever. So the movie puts that right on Front Street. Just, just so you know, I know you're used to seeing, you know, a lot of shootouts and stuff. We're not even going near that. This is all like, <clears throat> this is all martial arts. And to hand combat. I mean, you said you can find Easter eggs in every kind of movie. That one lineage is so strong. I'm more glad that you got to see it about anything. Sure. It's, just, it's just so good. We got to talk about the scene with Roper and the cat and the, the test that he, uh, Mr. Han puts him through. I think that was really interesting too, because as you said, he's, he is kind of a scumbag. Uh, he's clearly the least moral of the three, <laughs> three leads. And uh, even he has a line that he won't cross and he ends up sort of revolting against Han and his men with uh, with Lee at, towards the end of the film as well. What did you, or how do you feel about that turn that Roper takes and the fact that we realize, well, maybe there is more to this guy than we thought initially? I think that that works to the, the greater narrative, narrative of the film. That these guys are all flawed characters. Yeah. But in his in his way, you're like, the things that he is capable of is, is I don't know, kind of, it lends him the death because of those, that scene. You see him as more than just a dude that can whoop ass. And that's one of the great pleasures of that movie is almost seeing him join up because you're like, oh, fuck, he isn't like... He essentially helped create one of those archetypes of the complicated hero, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I really like that scene with Cat because he's like, even I have my limits. You know, he acknowledges it. That's kind of like that moment with Han Solo and he's like, when he has to come back and help save the day, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's it's one of the more dramatically effective scenes in the movie, and it, and that's just two dudes in a room with with a cat uh, a cat's life being threatened, and it, it does have that sense of tension that you're like, well, wait, wait, who's gonna? How's this gonna go? Like, you know, I was I was worried about how that was gonna happen because at that point you don't know exactly what Roper's deal is, and um, yeah, John Saxon really toes that line perfectly. Is, is he a good man or is this guy really just out for himself? Yeah, I mean, he plays that. Like, there's such good emotional depth to him. Again, like all of them, their backstories are very complicated in the sense of, you know, like Bruce Lee's very moral and all that. But when he makes the turn 
and then like you you fall for the death of Williams immediately. So there's like you're like, oh fuck, I really like that guy. He was on the money, and then it kind of they keep jabbing you in different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I liked the the three of them, and I, I wanted more of. I obviously wanted more of Williams, but I, that's why I feel like I have to go. I have to go watch the uh, Black Belt Jones. I need to make that the the next uh, the next martial arts thing I check out. Apparently, the dialogue and the sound effects, which by the way, the sound effects again another super influential element of this movie because you know Mortal Kombat totally ripped that off. Every fighting game I played in the nineties has those those martial arts sounds that Bruce Lee is known for. Uh, I feel like that just kind of becomes an expectation that at least American audiences have for martial arts films. And it and it, a lot of that, so much of that comes from Bruce Lee. It's 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 crazy. Yeah, like especially how the nunchucks sound and everything. Yeah. The blows, the way that they impact, whoosh, whoosh, all of that. Uh, I, but the dialogue apparently was added in post and that seemed, that, that threw me off initially. Like I had to kind of check on my DVD to make sure it wasn't, uh, you know, a dubbed, an English dubbed version of a movie that was made in, in Mandarin or something. And apparently, no, that's just the way that they made it. And I think that was pretty common practice back in the day, though. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I don't know. I, I said that seems familiar. So because you can always sense like a little bit of that, just like a t- it's like a hair off. And apparently Han, the actor that played Han, he was dubbed over by Key Luke, who who played Mr. Wing, the old man in Gremlins, which I thought was an interesting factoid. Uh, it been kind of, a, I just did an episode of uh, another podcast on The Terminator, which came out the same year Gremlins came up in that conversation as well. So that's like, wow, it's all connected in Hollywood, apparently. And uh, the editing felt a little off in a couple places, but like for the most part, like we didn't get any real resolution on the Mei Ling stuff. I feel like that was just kind of dropped in there and then the movie moved on. So I would have liked to seen a little more with her maybe joining the group, but yeah. So I would have liked a little more with Mei Ling. I think that would have been kind of this, to go back to my Bond analogy, kind of been like his version of a Bond girl uh, and have her do a little more in this, but they just kind of kept it to the one scene. Uh, is there anything before we start sort of winding down? Is there anything about Enter the Dragon you we want to talk about that we haven't gotten to yet? No, I mean I think like I just think people who've never seen it should just watch it, even if you don't like martial arts movies and you're like, yeah, I don't want to watch a bunch of dudes punching each other. There's a lot of emotional depth. It's beautiful. The music is good. Like there's a lot to like about that movie. It's just not. Like, and I'm not an action movie dude. Like, I haven't seen a ton of movies that, like, are everyone is like, oh, have you not seen that? I'm like, I don't know. Not into it. I've never seen one Marvel movie. Um, when it comes to that one, I think there's a little, it, it sounds cliche, but there's a little something for everybody. I mean, you got a hot blonde chick that gets banged by a cool fucking gambler dude. You got Bruce Lee whooping ass. You got fucking Jim Kelly being the coolest motherfucker this side of Brooklyn Yard. You got yeah, right. everything. And what do you like? It's legitimately just a well-rounded movie that I think belongs in this very special place. Like the same kind of person who likes the Warriors or um, you ever seen the Warriors? I haven't seen the Warriors. Maybe that if we have you back on the show, maybe that should be the next one we talk about. That should definitely be the next one. If you like this, we should we should definitely talk about the Warriors. The Warriors is another really good one. Like that's your kind of like cinematic wheelhouse like you can't go wrong with either and there's a couple of flicks like that like uh two mules for sister sarah 
and they're just these standalone ones. You're like, damn, those are so, or maybe not two mules, but like the Outlaw Josie Wales. Mm-hmm. Any of like the Man with No Name uh, trilogy, but the Outlaw Josie Wales is still a really good one. Yeah. So yeah. those standalone cinematic experiences that people kind of like always draw to, and you're like, damn, fucking Enter the Dragon just goes hard. Yeah. I, I, and I, like I said, I was aware that it was this classic. I was aware that it had, you know, uh, a legacy and like a long life of, and an impact on Hollywood, but it's, you, it, you don't realize like it, you have, you hit the nail on the head when you said that it's essentially two action movies and martial arts as star Wars is to sci-fi and fantasy. Like it, it's, it is exactly what it is. It's part of that part. Of, you know, all these movies in the seventies, like the early to, you know, I guess, I guess, yeah, I guess the seventies generally that's shaped of a modern blockbuster you have Star Wars, you have like Jaws, and I think Enter the Dragon should be thrown in there just because it it, it did establish all the all this uh, all these genre conventions that people now going to see a martial arts movie expect. Like this, this is this set the bar, and this I feel like the blueprint. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I feel like m- most movies this is they're still aspiring to be Enter the Dragon and fall tragically short and then you know not even if you're not specifically interested in that genre i think you will find something here just because because it has made such an impact because bruce lee is such an icon and you sort of get like the quintessential bruce lee experience in this one movie uh yeah i would absolutely see i mean i'm sure there's a lot of people listening that haven't seen it so definitely check out enter the dragon it wasn't really i was having problems finding it streaming on you know netflix or anything like that so uh, either rent it or, or track down like I did a used DVD. There's probably a bunch of them floating out there. I think it's been reissued quite a few times over the years. So, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. There's, you can go on, you could probably roll into any used shop and you'll find a copy or you can go on. If you're down with supporting Jeff Bezos, you can find a copy from uh, his machine. It's out there. I mean, it's a beloved movie. You can find it if you're willing to like pay up a couple of bucks for it. Yeah, yeah. You paid $5 for it. I did. I did. And uh, it's an easy blind buy, too. That's the other thing. When when, when we said we were going to do this conversation and I, and I saw it there for five bucks, I was like, oh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to love it. I'm sure I'm going to love it. It's not like, what am I going to do with this? I, I guess I'll use this DVD as a coaster after. It's not one of those. It's definitely yeah. one that you'll be, you'll be going back to and checking out. And, and uh, yeah, yeah, definitely a great movie highly recommend to people that are listening to this uh robert dean can you tell people where they can find you on social media yeah you can find me on facebook is the best place because i so i am terrible i'm 39 i'd rather spend my time writing and reading and hanging out at the bar than sitting on fucking social media so yeah chances are the best place is Facebook because there seems to be like a very good community of people and there's a lot of conversations and shit talking and memes and it's the it's the number one place if you're trying to actually like be engaged I have an Instagram it's called literally Robert Dean uh, you can go there and you'll see some shit I don't really update it all that much I mean I do probably once a month maybe I just am one of those people that like don't need to signify my life in a photo every day right and I'm not on Twitter anymore. I mean, I have a Twitter, but I haven't used it in years. Oh, and you can look, you can find me on YouTube. I just released a new special called Functioning on Zero, Robert Dean Live from the Lost Well. I have a book of essays coming out in 2021 called Lucky Fuck. It's basically a bunch of essays about 
essentially falling upward. I don't know how I keep doing it, but I do. Just stories about getting divorced, drinking. I lived in New Orleans for six years, so I have a whole bunch of fucking wild-ass stories about that. Uh, regrets, learning experiences, things like that. And uh, I have a poetry book coming out as well in 2021 called Snakes in the Garden. And uh, Functioning on Zero has little bits and pieces from each of those releases. And it's based on the 1972 Charles Bukowski, Bukowski Reads Bukowski special. And it's shot in black and white. And the guys I worked on the TV show helped me do it. So it's super professional looking. And that's on YouTube. But you can go to the Facebook page and it's Kid right to the top. It's great, awesome. it's great to watch while you're taking a shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what everybody does on YouTube, right? Um, well, Robert Dean, thank you so much for coming on the show. It sounds like you have a lot of exciting things going on. Definitely keep keep me posted on all of that, and we'll we'll have to get you back on at some point to talk about the Warriors. I'll make a note of that. I, I will definitely talk about the Warriors anytime. And every time I do a podcast, I like to leave off of one final note to anybody that's listening. If you can do something kind for someone tomorrow, do that. The world needs kindness. We need, even if it's just telling your partner that they look great, they have great shoes on, or that you make them happy, or giving a homeless dude a cheeseburger. Do something nice. Any small act of kindness will go, will not go unnoticed. Absolutely. Awesome. Very, very great sentiment to end it on. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. If you're interested in joining me on the show to chat about one of your favorite films, head on over to crookedtable.com slash guest. Or you can consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash crookedtable. Of course, you can always find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at crookedtable.com. Until next time, this has been the Crooked Table Podcast, and I've been Rob. This has been a production of crookedtable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of a little KED.